16. One thing I love about Scripture and journeying through it one chapter at a time is I'm always excited to see how God is going to meet with us in the Scriptures and reveal something that we just so happen to need at just the right moment. So as we get there this morning, I want to uh, make a couple of announcements. Uh, First and foremost, um, I actually don't have them memorized, so I'm hoping... Oh, there we go. Christmas Eve service is going to be December 24th at 6.30 p.m. If you want to come, it'll be real simple. We're going to read the Christmas story from Scripture, and then uh, there will be some kind of special things that go on. Usually somebody wants to sing a song or uh, share a verse or a poem or whatever you think you might want to do. If if you have anything you're interested in doing, uh, please let us know and we'll kind of work that into the program. Um, It's not going to be this big, long, drawn-out thing, but we simply read the story and we worship. Um, Secondly, this next Saturday, December 5th, from 9 to 1 p.m., 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., we will have our Christmas decoration day. And since I know you guys are all excited about decorating for Christmas just as much as I am, hopefully more, um, (laughs) we're going to have that this Saturday. And uh, I think Kelly said there's going to be some breakfast items available for that. And I think that's about it. The youth are on a break. Um, So they're taking a break from meeting on Sunday nights. But I think they're uh, kind of tentatively planning some, um, some gatherings in the midst of uh, this break that's coming up. And so um, if you don't have uh, the Remind app on your phone or your youth don't have it on their phone, this, this is ways to keep up to date with things that are being planned. And so other than that, um, one more announcement. So <clears throat> God has answered our prayers. We've gone through the process and gotten bids. We're actually uh, going to close on our loan on Monday to purchase the property just up here across the road and we're going to make uh we're going to double our parking on that area there we're going to remove seven large trees so we'll have some firewood there if you need firewood we're going to have it stacked on one side of the property and church members can have it or if you know somebody that is in need to heat their home and they don't have their own way to get firewood they can uh, come over here once we get it all chopped up and it's sitting there They will have to split it. It won't be split, but it will be there. And if you want to bless somebody and bring your splitter and split some wood and take it to their house, it's from Jesus. So um, that is something I'm praying that we'll be able to double our parking by Christmas Eve. And then we're also going to uh, replace our roof and put larger gutters on. And so um, those are some things that are coming up. So thank you, Lord, for the way you provide for our practical needs so we can meet spiritual needs. All that said, Genesis and chapter 16 this morning. If you remember with me, um, God has revealed himself and he has created the human race. And through that, he's not only created the earth and the, the galaxy and the, the expanse of the heavens that surround it, but he's also created a place and a space where we can live, we can interact with one another, and we can get to know him. And as we've learned about this creation that he has made, we see that through creation, he has also multiplied people on the face of the earth. And through the multiplication, what we find is that mankind is always bent on doing things apart from God, apart from God. And it creates multitudes of messes. And so as these messes have been created, and as God has gone through and even cleansed the earth by flooding the entire thing and starting fresh with the family of Noah, we see that Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, then go and multiply. And as they multiply, God chooses from one group, uh, the descendants of Shem, he chooses one man by the name of Abram. And he says to Abram, I'm going to multiply you on the face of the earth. I'm going to bless you, Abram, and your descendants, and you and your descendants will be a blessing to the entire world. Now you might think, well, okay, God can do that. If you believe Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth by speaking them into existence, then no doubt he could choose one man to bless the entire world through. But what you don't know about Abram, perhaps, is that Abram has no children. He is married, but he is the one of three brothers that's not been able to procreate. 
And so God chooses the things that make no sense to do something that makes total sense. And so I love this because God delights in impossibilities. The more impossible a situation is, the more downcast and doubtful we get. But the more impossible a situation is, the more glory God gets when it happens. God promises things that seem impossible, that from our perspective are impossible. And then he shows us these situations. And when we see impossible situations, we can either be in despair or we can cry out to him and go, how are you going to do this? This is impossible. And that's when he smiles knowingly and says, oh, yeah, watch this. And so with that being the case, he's chosen Abram and Sarai to bless the entire world through their descendants. And yet what happens is when God makes promises to us, many times those promises take longer than we would like for them to take. And so we start getting busy trying to figure out how we can help God fast forward his redemption plan or fast forward his plan to get us debt free or fast forward his plan to make all our relationships right or fast forward whatever it might be. We just don't like to wait. And if you don't think that's the case, how many of you have been frustrated with the internet in any time in the last two years? And they're like, man, this thing's so slow. Well, no, it's not, because I remember dial-up. You know, but the faster things get, the more fast we want them to get. And in the meantime, God doesn't work on our timeline. He works in his own. And so in Genesis chapter 16, in chapter 15, he's just reiterated his promises that he's made to Abram. And if you remember with me, uh, God waited until Abram was exhausted waiting for God to show up. And that's when Abram falls asleep and then God reveals his future plan for his family. And then he walks through and he cuts covenant with them. He makes an agreement. And if you want to go look into that, listen to last week's teaching on the podcast. But all I want to say is that God has made promises to God to Abram that Abram doesn't have to do anything to make happen and yet in the midst of waiting on the promise it says in chapter 16 now Sarai Abram's wife had borne him no children so the promise is there I'm going to give you children but the fact is there so far they have no children and I don't know about you guys but if you've wanted something so bad before and God said, I'm going to give it to you. There's a temptation to go, when? And I'm going to help you do it now, as if we need to help God. And so she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. And I would insert there, so far. But all she can see is the impossibility, right? And so the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I look at this situation, I go, what in the world? I cannot imagine my wife coming to me and saying, hey, we can't have kids. Here's this other woman who lives in our house as my servant. Whew. But this, I want to make a point to say this, though. This isn't like a White House scandal. This isn't like, oh my goodness, in their culture, the way that they were raised, that was a common theme. And so it was something that they would normally do. This is a way of the world that they fix things. I can't have children. It's obvious by now. So if God's promised to give me children, then I'm going to make it happen. And yet what God's promise was to Abram, we'll find out, is that he would give him children through his monogamous relationship. Even from the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, God made Eve to give to Adam, and he said what Jesus quotes later in the New Testament, therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, 
by the way, singular. So all throughout the, the Old Testament, what you're going to find is that there's going to be Israelites that have multiple wives. And what I want to point out is that the Bible is honest about its characters and the people in it. It's not saying that that's the way to be. What it's saying is this is what they did. And so they're, they're surrounded by cultures that say it's okay to have multiple wives or to sleep around or to have kids basically like a surrogate mother what Hagar will do is give birth on Sarah's knees, which birth is un, you know, uncomfortable enough as it is, probably, I don't know, but I'm just saying, like, to ha give birth on someone else's knees and then say, oh, and this is my kid now because they were on my knees. It seems like a little weird. Um, so all that said, uh, here's what they're doing. They're helping out God without asking God if he needs their help. You'll notice in this part of the passage that there's absolutely no prayer going on. There's just two people that are frustrated, and one in particular who's frustrated is barren. And in their culture, as a woman, to not be able to give your husband a child when all of your, uh, your husband's brothers have been able to have children with their wives— in all of their families, it feels like you're the only one. And so the reality is, uh, they're distraught. And yet, God had promised Abram. God always makes good on his promises. But God's promises are obtained by faith. It takes faith to obtain the things God says he'll do, because he always says he's going to do things that are impossible. Even Jesus said, with man, all these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, uh, the writer of Hebrews said, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. It's the evidence of things that you can't see. That's faith. We trust in our sight. We trust in our senses. And God says, trust me. And so, the world's ways here, they're using a world way to get God's wills, will done. The world's ways are deeply embedded in who we are. How you were raised is hard to just get over and do something else. Whether it's a small white lie or whether it's a big sin, things that were common in your household growing up are hard to just get over and stop doing. They become your natural response to situations. And so that's why Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, that says that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And if you're part of a family, you've spent time with your families this week. Some of you have just gone and been with your families. and You're like, oh man, I don't miss that. Even though you love your family, there's things about your family where you're like, I'm glad I'm, I'm not living that way anymore. That's how it is for me. But for other families, it's like, man, the ways of the Lord are so good, and it's intrinsic in how you live. There's blessing attached to that. Not just for you, but also for your family who is taking on those new habits and those new patterns of living. But the world's ways are deeply embedded in who we are, but that doesn't mean that God approves of them. That doesn't mean that he's okay with it. And in Romans chapter 12, in the book of Romans, Paul makes the case for righteousness by faith. And after talking about all the reasoning and all the ways that God has provided so great a salvation for us, he tells us as believers to live as new creations. And in Romans chapter 12, he says, Therefore, because of all I've said, and I'm skipping over 11 chapters of all he said, he says, I beseech you which is like an old school way to say, I beg you, therefore, by the mercies of God, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Take your life and give it to the Lord and say, I'm giving you who I am because you've done everything to save who I was and you've given me your righteousness. Now I want to live for you. And in verse two, he says, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in order that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's perfect will for Abraham and Sarah is that they would have this child from their marriage, and through this child, he's going to bless the entire world. And yet what they do is they go, how about we help you? And if you've ever tried to do a project, some of you have decorated this week. Some of you still have young kids, and some of you don't. But when the kids want to help in my house, their helping makes more of a mess than it does help. Now, we delight in it, right? It's like, hey, I'm never going to have them at this age again. But when we're not in our right mind, we're like, get out of here. I'll do it myself. But what happens is as we help God, he delights in the interaction. But he also has a perfect will, and then he has a permissive will. What happens here is he lets them make a mess. They decide to make a mess, but he also lets them. Making plans without God always makes a mess of things. Scheming without God always ends up a mess. And if we have learned anything from the last 15 chapters or the first 15 chapters of Genesis, every time somebody or a group or someone does something apart from God, it makes worse. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 through 8. Adam and Eve make one decision apart from God. She sees the fruit that it's able to make her wise. It looks delicious. God's told her not to eat it, but she sees the benefit of eating it. And so apart from God, she makes a decision to eat it. And then she does what? She offers it to her husband. She gave it to her husband and then he did eat. Sound familiar? Abram was offered Hagar to him, to his embrace. He took Hagar and he did partake. And when he did, there was shame and guilt and brokenness, just like there was in the garden. Chapter 4, verse 3 through 7. Cain makes an offering that's not approved by God. He offers plants and vegetables instead of a meat sacrifice. And because of that, Cain's offering is not righteous. Abel's is. It's acceptable to God. Abel doesn't like the fact that his, uh, or excuse me, Cain doesn't like the fact that Abel's offering is righteous. And so he gets mad at his brother and he does what? He kills him. He made one decision apart from the approval of God. And because he did not do righteously, He got angry at God and at Abel, and he killed him. Chapter 11 of Genesis, mankind attempts after the flood to make unity and peace on earth. Sounds great. Apart from God. And what it leads to is confusion and chaos and brokenness. And so uh, because of that, there's division on the entire earth. Chapter 12, verse 10 through 20. Um, Abram has been taken into the land of promise, the land that Israel will ultimately take, the land between Egypt and Babylon, Israel. And while he's in the land, there's a famine in the land. He does not pray. He does not ask the God of heaven for advice or for direction. And because of that, he goes into Egypt. He almost loses his wife into the harem of Pharaoh. And then when he is delivered by God, he comes out. Guess who comes with him? Hagar, the servant, that will ultimately later be a temptation to help God out with the world's ways. So every time we do something apart from God, we make a mess. But what I love is what we're going to find out in this passage is that despite the fact that we make a mess when we try to help God out, God is still able to, to make all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Abram's faith in God is going to experience the grace of God. Do you know what grace is? It is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. And many times, unfortunately, what we think we're doing is we're reading our Bible enough, and we're praying enough, we're going to church enough, and we have all the right clothes on, and we do all the right deeds. And in the meantime, then we fail one time, 
and our hope was in always doing right for God. And what happens is that we get discouraged, and what God's always trying to show us is it's about what I've done for you. Do you know what righteous means? Righteousness is the idea of being properly clothed. Unrighteousness is being improperly clothed. And as a Christian, we are not clothed by our works. Our works are compared to stinky garments. They're like sweaty clothes. It's like after you get done with a a big uh, practice and you're wearing those same clothes again and you take them off and you lay them on the floor and then they fester and you put them back on and then everyone around you can tell how much you stink because you've worked yourself to the point of exhaustion and sweatiness. And if you're a teenager, it's even worse. At least that's what we think as adults. But what happens is that we start to trust in those works. And to everybody else, they smell like dirty garments. But what God is saying to us is that you don't have to come robed in your own righteousness. You don't have any. The best you have to offer is stinky gym clothes. But what I've clothed you in to make you righteous is the blood of my son that was sinless and spotless and and guiltless and shameless. And so he spills his blood. It covers us. It cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And then we are made new, not because we deserve it, but because he is righteous. He takes our sin upon himself and we exchange our nasty works and our our, our sinfulness, and he gives us his robes of righteousness in exchange. And so all that to say, uh, this particular mess in verse 5 and 6 uh, says this. Verse 5, it says, Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. So there's already an argument in the house. Nobody here near has ever argued at their house with their spouse. Uh, But there's the blame game. Do you remember what happened when uh, Adam and Eve partook of the fruit? And then God comes to them and says, hey, why are you guys, where are you guys at in the garden? Of course, he knew where they were. And they said, oh, we realized we were naked and, and we were ashamed. So we hid. And then God says to them, who told you you were naked? Uh, And have you been eating of the tree? And what's the first thing that happens? Lord, the wife that you gave me. And then the wife says, uh, the serpent that you put in the garden, God, he tempted me. And, and everybody blames everybody else. And the same thing happens here. Sarai gets mad at Abram. By the way, who originally said, hey, take my servant? Sarai, right? So everybody's got blood on their hands here. Uh, but then it's, he says, excuse me, she says, I gave my maid into your embrace And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. So Hagar despises her mistress or her master. You know, she's she's basically a servant to Sarai. Um, And then she says, the Lord judge between you and me. She's still talking to Abram here. The Lord judge between you and me. This is your fault. You should have never, I should have, everybody's blaming everybody. And so Abram said to Sarai, trying to alleviate the conflict here, he says, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. What he's telling her is she's your servant. You're in charge of her. Do as you see fit. If she's despising you, then deal with it. I don't know if this is the way he should have led or not, but he did. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So Hagar flees from the situation. Now, this is awkward for everybody. The whole such it's Jerry Springer type stuff. We pay for cable TV to watch it. Uh, but what I want to point out here is that everything that they did to try to fulfill God's promise, it hurt everybody. What promised was fulfillment. Sarai wanted to give her husband a child. Everything in her heart longed to do the thing that she, that she believed her body was made to do. She couldn't do it. She was distraught. She was broken. How can I do this thing that my heart yearns to do? So she did what seemed expedient. 
what would be a quick fix. You know, this happens in marriages. Uh, people see another person that all of a sudden is more attractive than their spouse, and then they go, I, I don't feel fulfilled in this situation, so I'll, I'll get fulfilled, and then I'll leave, and, and then everything will be fine. We'll just move on like everything's fine. But what happens under the surface is all this brokenness, and it's like, it's like a pimple. It's like there's, there's, there's an impurity under your skin, and all of a sudden all this fluid heads towards that impurity, and it's really trying to press it to the surface, but everybody wants to act like it's not there. So you put concealer on it. I've never done that, but I'm just saying some people do. Uh, you, you, you Stridex. I'm from the Stridex generation. We put the harshest chemical, mineral spirits, gasoline, anything, just get rid of the nasty. But in the meantime, what needs to happen in order to deal with this brokenness is really confession. And you know what confession does? It's the same thing that you do when you take your two fingernails and you squeeze the zit or the pimple and nastiness comes out. And you're like, and it hurts. It hurts, right? Confession hurts. Probably even worse than popping a pimple. But when that nasty comes out of the pimple, the source of the problem is gone, and then healing can start. But confession can't be done just like popping a pimple can't be done without everybody seeing that big gigantic volcano on your face. It's red, it's swollen, but that's when healing starts. And so this brokenness that's going on in their home has to be dealt with and at this point, the only thing that's going to fix it is God getting involved. The only thing that can reconcile people in this type of brokenness, which, by the way, for some of you, you're going, oh, my goodness. And for some of you, you're going, I got that going on in my family. Well, guess what? So did the father of the stinking faith. God chose this man, and this man and his wife made this decision. I don't know about you guys, but I'm encouraged by that. Because some of the stuff that I've done, I'm like, I don't want anybody to know that. And yet what God does in his grace is he says, I'm going to write it in a book. I'm going to make it in every language in the whole world. And I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. And I'm going to tell my people to shout it from the rooftops. You know why? Because God's not ashamed. God is not ashamed of your past. He actually gets more glory when you're just honest about it. And that's what makes me happy to be a Christian because I don't have to hide anymore. And so it's no different in the father of the faith, Abraham, here. And so now the angel of the Lord, remember, Sarai has dealt harshly with Hagar. Hagar has fled from his presence. Where do you think she's going to go? She's got no family. She's not got no people around her. She's going to go back to where she's from. She's going to go to Egypt. By the way, to get to Egypt, they gotta, she's got to go by herself. She's prego, and she's heading out into a desert. There's nothing there to sustain her. And so God intervenes. It says there in verse 9, excuse me, verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. This tells us geographically she was headed back to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, now stop there. So verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord pursued Hagar. But I want to point out, it doesn't say a angel of the Lord. It says the angel and it's capitalized. Now the word angel kind of loses connotation. We think of like precious moments, little statues with the little cherubim, like Cupid type stuff. Uh, this is not an angel like Mar Michael or Gabriel that uh, appear to the different prophets in the Old Testament. This is the angel of the Lord, and this is the first time that this angel of the Lord approaches a human being, by the way, and speaks to them in the Bible. First mention is important. So in Genesis, we see the first mention of many things. Here, the angel of the Lord, angel means messenger, by the way, the messenger of the Lord. Who is the messenger? If you thought of one, someone that would proclaim 
salvation? Uh, Jesus. Jesus is the God of our salvation. He is the messenger. He's the direct representation of God. He is the reflection of the character of God in every possible way. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The angel of the Lord, God himself, appears not to Abram, not to Sarai, to Hagar, a woman that is in a land that's not her own. A woman who has been, by the way, the only obedient. She was obedient to her master. She actually is more godly in some ways than Abram and Sarai. She obeyed her master, Sarai, when she told her to do a very difficult thing. And because of that, she's pregnant. And so as we find ourselves here, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar and speaks to her and asks her a question he knows the answer to. Where have you come from? Where are you going? But notice how he addresses her. You remember the woman that was, um, that was sick for 12 years that Jesus approached and she grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment in a, in a crowded area? And, and Jesus looks to her and calls her what? Daughter. A word of, like, tenderness. So the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, this Egyptian servant. Nobody called her by name. Nobody knew her. And yet, what he says is, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? He addresses her by name. He knows her already. There was no introductions needed. God knows her. He knows her affliction. She said, I am fleeing for the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress. Well, that seems like a hard thing, right? Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. That's quite the promise. So that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. I know he's going to be a boy. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Here's what I want you to know, Hagar. I've heard your affliction. I know what you're going through. I know your name. I know your circumstances. I'm asking you to go back. I'm going to multiply your descendants. I'm going to take care of you. But then he goes on to say, your son shall be a wild man. The idea is like a donkey in the wilderness, a wild donkey. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. So Ishmael, if you know your Bible, if you know history, ends up being the the father of the faith of the Muslim nation. So you know that them trying to help out God actually creates major problems down the road between the Israelites and the Muslims, the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac. And yet what God told Abram is, your descendants I will multiply exceedingly. God's promises are not null and void because we run them through the mud. He is going to fulfill that promise to Ishmael. He's going to multiply Ishmael's descendants. And actually what we find out is he'll have 12 sons, almost like Jacob. He'll have 12 kings come from him or 12 uh, clans come from him. And so verse 13 says, and I'm getting ahead of my uh, slides here. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. She calls him by a name that she would recognize. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? I love this because he says you're going to name your son Ishmael because I'm God and I've heard your affliction. Now, remember, Hagar is from a nation of idols. Egypt was a place of idols. They would worship these false gods. And every one of these gods, by the way, had ears, but they couldn't hear. And every one of them had eyes, but they couldn't see. And it makes me wonder if in her servitude, 
as a slave in Egypt if she hadn't prayed to those gods trying to get set free from being a slave in her culture. And yet here she is, she's still a servant, and then she's not even praying. By the way, notice that Hagar was not seeking God, but God sought out Hagar. He was the one that instigated the relationship. He's the one that started talking to her. She only responded to his, his calling out to her. But when she responded, she says, you are the God who sees. So she knows him as the God who has heard her affliction and the God who sees her circumstances. Therefore, the well where they were was called Beer Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. By the way, that means geographically, she was pretty far along in her journey. She was very far into the desert. Unless God intervened, she was going to perish out there. Nobody can survive those conditions alone. Verse 15 says, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Uh, this is implying that she did exactly what God told her to. She went back. She obeyed God. She submitted to a harsh master. And she went back and did what he said. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And so, I think I'm going to stop there today, although I plan to go much farther. What I'm going to point out is in Genesis chapter 17... God remains faithful even after Abram, Abram's faith faltered. Uh, verse 1 through 8, God reiterates his promise to Abram and renames Abram exalted father. That's what Abram meant. By the way, he never had children with that name. He changes his name to Abraham, and that H in the middle is the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And in numerology, if you've ever studied that, there's different numbers that signify different things. Uh, the number five is the number of grace. And so God inserts grace into Abram's life, and he becomes named the father of nations. Uh, verse 9 through 14, God gives Abraham the outward sign of circumcision to indicate a desire to be known as God's people inwardly later the israelites would take circumcision and go well i've been circumcised and then paul would later write in the new testament that's great that you've been circumcised and that does signify that you're a child of abraham but the circumcision was an outward thing to do to show that you were actually sensitive to the leading of the lord you've made it about this outward sign and yet you're not someone that listens to god at all you only do the outward things much like uh, for us, might be baptism. Uh, we would be baptized and go, well, I was baptized at church camp in 1985 or whenever. Big deal. Are you walking with the Lord today? I don't care if anybody's been baptized. I'm looking for fruit to be produced in their life. Fruit that looks worthy of like, like a person that's actually repented of sin and desires to walk with the Lord imperfectly as it may be. I don't care if you go to church every week. What's your life look like? I don't care whose grandma's brother's cousins always went to church and now you're living off of their faith. I care what your life looks like because each one of us has to make our faith our own. We have to walk with Lord, the Lord on our own. And then verse 15 through 16, God promises a son through Sarai and renames Sarai. By the way, Sarai meant cutter or sharp tongue. And no doubt Hagar had experienced that sharp tongue and no doubt Abram probably had at some point too. She was harsh and, uh, and a little bit embittered, perhaps by, because of her barrenness. She, she gets her name changed to Sarah, which again adds that fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which signifies grace. And instead of being called cutter or sharp tongue, she's called princess, mother of nations, which is quite the title. And, and think about this. God names the person who has given another woman to her husband to help him out and creates all this mess. He calls her princess. He, he calls her a mother of nations. 
verse 17 through 22, God promises to establish his covenant to Abraham, not through Ishmael, but through Isaac, but promises also to care for Ishmael. And then verse 23 through 27, Abraham responds in worship. He obeys God's command. So we're going to read through chapter 17. I lied. We're going to keep going, but I'm going to go real quickly. So when Abram was 99 years old, note that that's 13 years later. God promises. They have to wait. It takes faith. And then God fulfills his promise, even though in the meantime, they've made a mess. 99 years old. Do you think that that's one of those at-risk pregnancies we talk about? <laughs> I think Hagar's was probably more of an at-risk pregnancy than anybody else's. Um, but the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. First time he's mentioned himself with this title. I am El Shaddai, Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. I will make my cut. Now, you might stop there and go, how can he be blameless? He's already committed this adulterous sin and had this extramarital relationship. Again, righteousness is being clothed properly. So to confess it and to walk forward. He says, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations." This is an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be your descendants, God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep. It's about to get painful. Between me and you and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. The removal of the outward exterior. The idea is that we would be soft to the, to the, we would be sensitive to the heart of God. It wasn't just about where you were circumcised. That was something between you and God. It was about the fact that you were removing this outward flesh. You were no longer going to walk covered in the flesh, but now you're going to walk covered in the spirit. And so therefore being restored into a proper relationship with God. Verse 12 he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or, brought, or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. The idea was every time they would circumcise a male child, they would say, why are we doing this? And then they would restate the covenant that God had made with Abraham. It was a reminder. You teachers know that reminding, saying things over and over again is how you drill it into somebody's mind of who they are and what they're supposed to know. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. And then Abram's response, verse 17. Abram fell on his face and he laughed. This wasn't a doubtful laugh. This was a laugh of joy. You're kidding me. There's no way. 
He's giddy with excitement. And he said in his heart, shall, I, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Why don't we make this easy on ourselves, God? You don't have to do the impossible. Why don't you just take what we've done and bless it? Have you ever said that to God? I know, I've got our, we, I know we've got, made a mess here. I know I've gotten myself into a fix, but could you just bless my mess and we can move on with life? Because I don't know if I want to give birth. I don't know if I want to take this next step of faith. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And then God said, no. <laughs> Very clearly, by the way, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So this is all I'm going to tell you right now, Abraham. So Abraham, hearing these words, responds in worship. Now, it might not be a worship setting like you and I would think about because he's getting ready to go have some surgery on every male in his household. By the way, he's 99, getting circumcised. Whew. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among them, the men of Abram's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So what are we supposed to do with all that? Each of us respond to God in one of two ways. We all do. We can plead with God, chapter 17, 17 through 18, to bless our mess. Oh, that the works of my life might live before you. I've already done things my way. Why don't you bless my mess and call it good? And yet, what Jesus would say in the New Testament is, if anyone would come after me, if anybody would follow me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, in other words, die to himself, and follow me. Uh, something's got to die. Now, he's not going to have him kill Ishmael, but ultimately he is going to have him send Ishmael away so that there's not a war between him and Isaac and his descendants. But the other response we can give to God is that we give God our mess in, in exchange for what he has to give us as his best. We can let our mess die. We can let him take it and deal with it, and then we can take his best for us. So I would say that our response would lead to us doing what God told Hagar to do and ultimately what God's telling Abraham to do, which is the same message. Return to God. Stop trying to do your own thing. Submit to his plans, his way, by the way, not your way. Obey his commands simply. His commands are his love. It's like a fence on the edge of a cliff. It's not meant there to be a killjoy. It's meant there to keep you from being destroyed by going off the cliff. And then as you'll do those things, return to God. Submit to his plans Obey his commands, not because you've been perfect, but because that's what he calls for, obedience, simply. Then you obtain the promise that he's already given. You'll notice that their mess up didn't stop God's promise from being fulfilled. And Romans eight twenty eight says that all things work together 
for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, not to their own purpose. God's called you. He knows your name. He knew you when you were in your mother's womb. And he has a purpose for you. And he knows all the things that you've done trying to make yourself right in his sight. Or he knows all the things you've done trying to avoid his sight. But what he wants to show us here is that if we'll return to him, he's approaching you whether you realize it or not. Maybe there's somebody in here today going, good grief, uh, I can relate to Hagar way more than I can anybody else. And there's days where I'm like, man, I am Hagar. I was the one that did my own thing, made my own messes, and then was headed back to Egypt, and the Lord said, hey, where have you come from and where are you going? Return. Submit to me. And then, as I returned, and I submitted to the will of the Lord, what happened is I obtained the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, by the way. Abraham's family became a blessing to me because the seed of Abraham is Jesus. He's the descendant of Abraham. And because of his grace that I've received through faith, I've received salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God, not of works. It's by grace, through faith, just simply believing. We believe God's promise. We respond to it and say, Lord, that's for me. And he says, you're made righteous. You're now properly clothed. You're mine. I take full responsibility for you. And we get to walk in his newness, knowing that we did nothing to make it okay. He's forgiven us. He's cleansed us. He, he, he doesn't just clean our heart, but he gives us a new heart, a heart that desires to do what he has for us. And then we get to walk in fellowship with him. And then ultimately, it makes our relationships right with each other. And so, a good thing done the wrong way, I love this, leads to God's grace every time, if we'll receive it. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for Abram and Abraham and Sarai and Sarah and Hagar Father, we have produced Ishmael's in our life by trying to go our own way apart from you. And I confess for my own self, uh, I'm not proud of that, and I'm still living with many of those consequences. But I thank you that your grace is sufficient for all these things, to cleanse, to make new, to restore to reconcile relationships, to reconcile my relationship to you. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anybody here today that feels unworthy, help them to know that they are uh, invited to join the group that feels unworthy. Lord, we are all unworthy of your love. That's why it's grace. That's why it's your compassion. That's why your love makes no sense to us because I don't know about anybody else in here but if my own children did what Abram and Sarai did to you, I'd have been done. I'd have said, I'm, I'm done with it. But you don't. Your love never gives up. Thank you, Lord, that I'm a recipient of that kind of love. So, Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Continue to teach us through it this week. Give us the faith to respond to the things that you are specifically showing us. Oftentimes we think that this is where the only place where God speaks, but I know for a fact that when we read your word and we're by the well and we feel like we're in the desert, that's when you approach us and you have words for us. Give us a sensitivity to the things that you want to speak to us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.